Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. This is episode 113. My name is Nick Hill. I'm a real estate investor, co-host of this podcast, and partner at Land Bank Advisors, where we can help you with all your mortgage needs. If you're a developer, someone looking for a private mortgage, multifamily, we specialize in all that. And I'm joined today and every Tuesday and Friday by my good buddy, Daniel Foch. Hey, how's it going? Daniel Foch here, real estate broker, real estate investor. Give me a shout if you want to invest in real estate. I'd love to help you. Um, today, we got a great episode. I guess we are going to go through a report that I write on a monthly basis, which we'd always said that we were going to do episodes on each month. And well, I guess we're finally getting to it. I think my first yeah. one was in February. <laughs> um, Good things take and, time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. And then um, I think we're going to go through a couple of news articles, talk a little bit about politics. And um, yeah, I, I mean... I think a lot of people have been asking us to just do news, current events. You know, you all really liked this episode before, or this type of episode before, and um, and now we're uh, now we're getting back to it. So, without further ado, um, Nick, you gonna hit me with these stats? Yeah, you know we love stats on this show. So I'm gonna read several stats that have the word increased in them, which can either be interpreted as a good or bad thing, depending on who you are and what you're trying to do. And then the final stat actually has the word decreased in it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And Dan, you were recently on television talking about this exact thing that is decreasing. So allow me to read these stats and then we'll, uh, we'll unpack them. The average home in the greater Toronto area, uh, the sold price increased 3.1% year over year to 1.182 million. And that is for June of 2023. So that's one of the increased. The GTA home prices are now higher compared to last year. The first year over year price increase since August of 2022. Det detached home prices also increased 5.2% year over year to 1.53 million. Semi-detached home prices increased by 8% year-over-year to $1.2 million. Freehold townhome prices increased by 5.7% year-over-year to $1.09 million, just under $1.1. And finally, the decreaser. Condo apartment average price decreased by a full 1% year-over-year, dropping to a measly $739,000. Dan, what are your thoughts on this? And, and maybe, you know, you had such a great piece on, on CP24 about this. So anyone that hasn't seen that, um, go check it out. Dan does a very good job at explaining things on there. But we're going to do it on here as well because this is our podcast and we get to talk about stuff that we want to. So Dan, what did you say on CP24 and why are condos going down in price? What does that mean? Yeah. So a couple of different reasons. So the first thing, so they asked me about two things on CP24. Number one was it's it is in the report and it's under the heading uh, slowest new condo sales market in a decade, which is uh, a report from Urbanation that shows that basically for the first half of the year, um, we saw the fewest new condominium sales in the, in the greater Toronto area in since 2013. Um, and the question was why, why might this have happened? The second thing is, and usually coupled with volume is, you know, why are we seeing 
um, va- or valuations drop on condominiums. So to answer the question and the way that I answered it on CP24 was the reason we're seeing volume come down, they asked if I was in, if I anticipated seeing this and I'm a bear. So I guess I anticipate anything that's negative, but, but I mean, realistically, <laughs> um, I anticipated this because the economics of building new supply don't work for many projects right now. Um, buyers don't have money because interest rates um, have suppressed buying power and construction costs have not eased. Development charges have not eased. In fact, they just went up 41%. Land costs are locked in so and developers are also paying interest on the loans that and their interest is variable rates. If you didn't know this, when a developer buys a piece of land, nine times out of 10, they're using a variable rate mortgage and it's like prime plus 2%. Not that good, good prime minus 90 bips stuff that ah, residential old consumers days. get. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the cost of putting a unit into the market is not getting cheaper. And so developers have to sell at a certain price and there's less and less people in the market able to pay that price because one, they don't have buying power due to interest rates. And two, they might not feel that the market will actually give them that price when they have to close on the unit in five to six years. And so um, it doesn't surprise me that we've seen um, a decrease or sorry, a very low number for the first half of the year for new condominium apartment sales. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see an even slower second half of the year and this ends up being the slowest year in, in 10 years. And I'm not saying that to be negative. I'm just saying it because it, it's a reality that happens. It's not even really a bearish thing. It's just a, the numbers don't work thing. Right. Yeah. No, well said. I mean, it, it, look, it, we can make it as complicated as we want, or we can make it as simple as we want. And the simplest thing is it's more expensive for developers to put units out than ever. Developers aren't going to just eat that cost. They're in the business of making money. So what happens? That gets put back on the consumer, you, me, and everyone else trying to buy pre-construction. Well, actually, you and I aren't trying to do that, but a lot of other people out there are. So great explanation, Dan. Let's move on to this uh, this this article here uh, from CP24, actually. So a new report from the Toronto Real Estate Board, otherwise known as TREB, suggests that condo prices could be set for a rebound later in 2023, despite a double-digit decline over the past year. The report distributed on Thursday says condo apartment selling prices were 11.4% lower in the first quarter of 2023 than in the same period in 2022. Sales, meanwhile, were down 42.9% over the same time period as many prospective sellers and buyers remained on the sidelines amid an aggressive interest rate hiking cycle by the Bank of Canada. However, strong population growth combined with crowded market and larger number of first-time home buyers will result in, quote-unquote, renewed growth in condo sales for the rest of the year from TREB. Now, again, I'm quoting, despite increased interest rates, mortgage payments on a condo are now closer to the cost of renting for a lot of potential buyers. In addition, homeownership has added benefits of equity growth and asset appreciation over the long term. And that is from president of TREB, Paul Barron, in this press release. The average selling price of a Toronto condo in the first quarter of 2023 was $726,644. And that is down from $809,000 during the same period in 2022. But that number is expected to increase as first-time home buyers enter the market this year. 
the condo-specific forecast from Treb, comes amid some signs of a rebounding market overall. Okay, that might be a little bit of wishful thinking, uh, but we'll see. In April, the average selling price of a home in the GTA hit 1.108 million compared to 1.1 million. So it basically dropped $90,000. Prices were still down 15% year over year. And again, I quote, based on the expectation that first-time home buyer activity will increase this year, look for the condominium apartment segment to be one of the recovery leaders in terms of sales and price growth. And that is, again, uh, from Cheb, but that is uh, from the chief market analyst, Jason Mercer. Dan, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I don't necessarily... I, I really try hard not to forecast, but I can kind of shed light on whether or not I agree with forecasts. And, and I'll allude to historic evidence to decide whether or not, you know, there's a chance that you know things go up or down and i've said a number of times on this podcast that i feel like the setup that we're seeing is and and go all the way back to episode one because we talked about this on episode one what happened in the last rising rate environment that we saw what happened in that last housing correction that we saw in canada while house prices peaked in 1989 they dropped from 1989 to 1990 and then they ticked up again in 1990 10 percent and then they drop slowly, um, you know, five to ten percent, depending on the market, over the next four to five years. We're going through something that looks very similar to that right now. The '90s being a very similar setup. So, you know, in 1989, we set a population growth record of 1.84 percent. In 2023, uh, sorry, 2022, we broke that population growth record for the first time ever. You know, we we saw a rate hiking cycle where the fixed rate environment tripled in ni- in the 90s. We just saw the same thing happen. Um, we saw house prices drop last year, 2022 to 2023, about 20%. And then they ran up again about 10% in the spring market of this year. Um, and so again, like I don't, I don't really know. Nobody knows anybody who, who would, who, these people obviously are far smarter than I am because they can, they can say that the direction is going to going to be a certain thing or forecasting to be a certain thing by the end of the year. But I, I would just say that history would tell me that that's not necessarily the case. And I don't, I don't know exactly what makes present day different than any other situation because, uh, and, and some people would argue immigration, but immigration or, or population growth, sorry, rather than just immigration, because it's immigration plus non-permanent residents. And um, I just don't know necessarily if that's actually going to, to, be a quantifiable difference. Speaking of uh, quantifiable differences, do you think, um, and this is half a joke, but but kind of serious, um, you know, one of the major differences between now and, and the previous recessions is that there wasn't stuff like TikTok and Instagram and, and all the things that maybe have a push or pull factor on consumer sentiment or a push or pull factor on certain things like, hey, buy a you know, go buy yourself a pre-construction condo with no intention of closing and, and try to flip the paper and make 200 grand because I saw some guy do it on TikTok and now that's exacerbated by, you know, social media. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that that changes the flow of information. So, you know, people have argued that that can expedite trends in either direction, up or down, mm. in, in, in the equities market especially. And I think... 
you know, the paper flipping thing is interesting to me because people were doing that in the nineties. It's really funny. Like if you ask any boomer, I would actually encourage any of our listeners to do this. If you have, you know, friends or family who were active trading real estate in the nineties, ask them about these speculative bubbles that people were seeing in, in the greater Toronto area and in certain areas all over the country um, around detached homes. It was the same thing. People were buying, they, they just weren't flipping the paper back then because um, I, there was, for so, there was some reason, but basically they, Oh, I think like land transfer tax wasn't bad or there, there was no, there might not have even been land transfer tax at that point. So um, people were literally just buying and selling the houses multiple times, right? Like you would buy, right. um, I think Steph's parents, like they said that their house changed hands like seven times before. So between the builder and them, the house changed hands sev- seven times before wow. they took possession of it. And they were the first people to ever live in it. Um, so Jeez. this stuff was happening. Yeah. So, so again, like signals of, of these, you know, instances of mania that we're seeing happening. Um, a very similar setup, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I would say, look, right now we're seeing house prices drop in many markets in Canada in the, in the past two months. And I'm not going to be an alarmist and say, oh, house prices are going down now because I was the guy who was saying in the spring that they were going up and that was seasonal. And now I'm saying they're going down and that is also seasonal. And we won't know until probably September whether or not you know, if, if house prices go back up in, in September, then we're back on that seasonal fall market trend and maybe we're good. Maybe we're in the trading sideways period or maybe we back, are back on an uptrend. But if house prices are not um, going up in September, then we're probably back on that bear market trend that we saw that started in Q1 of 2022 in, in most markets in Canada. And, and I would say, you know, that that's going to be the decisive month. And I, and so people should watch that, that, that month closely to see whether or not my thesis that the nineties could be repeat itself is correct or whether or not Treb's thesis that we'll see appreciation between now and the end of the year will be correct. So yeah, looking forward to um, it. The battle of the thesis I love it. Yeah. The bear and the bull. <laughs> so let's jump on to the next piece here. Um, I guess the first page uh, of the, of the rare report talking about inflation. So do you want to just read that um, that chart and uh, and points there? The Canada's yeah, inflation lo- rate falls. Yeah. Love to. Yeah, so this I mean this is this you've probably seen this in the headlines. It 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 was definitely newsworthy. Canada's inflation rate falls to 2.8%. Just a reminder for everybody um, that that is within that target let number of inflation that that the Bank of Canada wants to see right it's got to be between that two and three percent so two point eight percent definitely uh is good news but is it let's do a deeper dive so um the base effect supported inflation coming down but now the Bank of Canada will be battling the base effect moving forward stats Canada acknowledges this in their recent CPI print uh 2.8 showing how gasoline was actually pulling the rate down. Now, food and mortgages are actually pushing inflation up. I'm sure this probably resonates with anyone listening. The grocery store is a hell of a lot more expensive than it used to be, and so is your mortgage if you're on a variable. And uh, gasoline base effect will present a headwind against the uh, inflation moving forward, as indicated um, here in the Bank of Canada's chart. Now, you can't see this because you're listening to us, but Dan, tell us what this chart looks like and and why um, base effect is having this and, and why that 2.8%, it might be a little too early to celebrate that. 
Yeah. So if you just look at uh, the price of any good, or I'm, I'm going to be reposting this chart in the rare report, and it's also available on the Statistics Canada website. So I would encourage you to just take a look at that. Um, but if you look at the price of any good over the past couple of years, you'll notice that there was a big spike in that good in March, or sorry, between um, May, June, July of 2022. Um, fuel being a really good example. So fuel is the chart that they use to illustrate the base effect on the Statistics Canada website. And it, at this big spike, if you look at, if you draw a line from um, May to uh, May, May of last year to May of this year, the um, thing has dropped 18% in value. But if you draw a line from a higher point, um, that higher point being the next month, June. So if you go from June of last year to June of this year, it's dropped 21.6%. Yet the fuel prices actually went up from May of this year to May of last, or sorry, from May of this year to June of this year. Um, so, you know, the base effect, because CPI measures the, the price of a good, how price of a good has changed over the year, doesn't necessarily capture whether or not it went up. Um, you know, since last month, or or whether or not it's even going up at all, it it measures whether or not it's gone up since last year. And so, moving forward, when if you look, at, you know, once the price of goods has gone over that curve in May or June, coming into July, August, and towards the end of the year in December, when prices of goods, you know, in this example, fuel, were kind of back down to normal level levels, or or growth of prices of goods is back down to normal levels. Um, you're let's say down at the bottom of a curve. And now if you draw a line from that to present day, it's going to look like that good increased in value. And so the base effect creates this illusion that things are deflationary or or disinflationary. And understanding the difference between disinflation and deflation is probably another whole thing. Uh, um, disinflation is when the rate of increases is getting slower. So things are still going up in value. They're just not going up in value as quickly. And deflation is when the price of something is actually going down. And so moving forward, as we get past that that big hump in the price of so many goods, Canada will likely be battling or the Bank of Canada will likely be battling inflation that appears way less good than it did in um, or than, than it just did last month. And so I, I would say, you know, some people have even said that we've just saw a CPI bottom and um Actually, uh, you know, and it's funny because I, I think um, maybe we'll we'll go to the tweet that I mentioned. I wanted to chat about on this. So you can read this tweet to me, but I, I think this is going to come down in history as a classic case of um, celebrating too early. Like you know, like the, <laughs> those videos of the guys like on their bikes, like cheering before they cross the finish line and then they fall. Like I really think that the the, the Liberal Party just did this uh, with this tweet. Um, but read it for me anyway. Yeah, it make, makes it just so so many funny examples come to mind. It's just like someone throwing the basketball behind their back, not looking, and it doesn't go in, but they're cheering or you know all that kind of stuff, right? So, <laughs> without getting political, um, the Liberal Party posted this on Twitter. Canada has the lowest inflation in the G7. Um, Canada listed at two point eight percent. America three percent. Japan three point two percent. France. 4.5%, Italy at 6.4%, Germany at 64 and the UK at a whopping 87 The tweet goes on to say, let's keep making life more affordable and building an economy that works for all Canadians. <clears throat> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so, keep doing so, that. Dan, what was your, what was your, you had a comment underneath that. So what did that comment say? And then, and then go on. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, and I don't want to get too political, but it's just funny. Cause like, I, I, to me, it doesn't really matter. Like monetary policy is what matters to me, but I think it is funny. Like just that, you know, this is the same group of people that was saying, uh, when inflation was really bad, that it wasn't their fault, but now all of a sudden they're patting themselves on the back for it, which is ironic. Um, and then also, I think, I mean, I think that they kind of have just really had a, a little bit of foot in mouth syndrome with, um, the, you know, with, the. I, I guess Justin Trudeau also saying that housing wasn't a, um, a priority um, for them as well. Um, so interesting anyways, but, but I think that, you know, that this is, this tweet is going to age like milk. If the base effect thesis um, that this, that statistics Canada actually put, put out showing these changes um, ultimately yields to be correct. Um, which I, I do think will probably, I don't think we're going to end up with high inflation, but I think inflation is going to be sticky, stickier than what a lot of people imagine. Um, yeah. because of the base effect, because it's hard to get things to deflate or dis- disinflate from once you've already captured a lot of that. But anyway, that's, I think, all we'll chat on on um, inflation. Yeah, let's look at the uh, mortgage rates now. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to read this one to me? Yeah, sure. So the Canada five-year bond yield has been stuck in the high 3% channels now for over a week. The Canadian bonds seem to be pricing in a higher rate environment based on U.S. inflation rather than responding exclusively to the Canadian news. Now, obviously, you know, the old adage, the uh, United States sneezes and Canada catches a cold. So obviously, we are very attached to them, especially from a uh, monetary policy um, environment. Uh, Fixed rates are likely going to be moving up as a result of this bond market activity. And the market seems to be pricing in a return to inflation in Canada from base effect or the Bank of Canada needing to follow the Federal Reserve to avoid that imported inflation. Now, talk about imports and exports. We don't want to be importing inflation. That is something we do not want. And we don't really want to be exporting it either. Let's just get rid of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we do not want the finest imported inflation. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I think, um, you know, I don't have much more to add there. But, you know, it was interesting to see when US CPI came out. That was when the Canada five year basically spent the whole day around 4%, which 4%, you know, I mean, typically your mortgage fixed mortgage rates are, um, GOC GOC five year government of Canada, five year bond yield plus 2%, 2% being the risk premium. We've talked about this a lot on the show. So if you want, you want to hear about it, go back and listen to any of the fixed versus variable rate mortgage episodes, but, um, that's how they're priced. So, and this, the reason for this is because banks, um, would otherwise put their money in bonds, the sa- basically the safest thing that they can do or lend you that money. A five-year bond is the same as a five-year fixed mortgage, as an example. And then uh, same duration, sorry. So the, the the Canada bond yield basically showed us that the market was kind of pricing in um, further hikes from the, the Bank of Canada uh, as a result of US CPI giving us indication that Inflation might be sticky, as I mentioned. Um, I, I think that one, let's just see how that evolves because I'm interested to see. But um, I think a lot of people, want they, they always find the thing to celebrate about. And I'm obviously the opposite. I find the thing to, to complain about or be cynical about. And <laughs> so th- this is why you're great because like, you know, you and I balance each other out that way. I think, you know, you, if you have the, the bull case, I often have the bear case and we can argue it out and see which one will actually 
Um, but that's, that's kind of the full spectrum. It's like, oh yeah, the liberals are saying inflation is under control, which is great. And it is, it is, CPI is good. Um, but also there's a risk that it's not always going to be good. Yeah. And, and these are just things like, it doesn't matter whether or not either case is, comes true. It's like invest so that if either case comes true, you're still happy with your investment. Like I'm not ever even trying to argue or forecast. It's nice to forecast and to be right because it helps build credibility and like get attention on your content. Honestly, that's like literally the only reason that people would do it because you can go back and say, I told you so, and it makes you look like a, a genius. But the, the, the real reason that I explore this from one side, all the way from one side to the other is to build an investment strategy that properly fits the entire range of potential outcomes. And that's why we talk through all of this stuff for our, yeah. our audience, which is investors. Okay. Hit me with the next slide here. Yeah. So next one is interesting. We're talking sales price to listing price and, and just house prices in general, because they are declining, but it's, it's really too early to tell, you know, going back to what you said at the top of the show, Dan, whether this is just a seasonal pattern or whether we are returning to that little bit of a bear market trend that started back in 2022. Now, you know, the quote unquote sold over asking uh, is beginning to disappear with the market's sale to list price ratio dropping from 4% over asking on average to just 1% over asking in the most recent month. What are realtors going to post about on social media now if they can't be putting the sold over asking signs up? Um, you know, you just, I'll digress here for a second, but the sold over askings were always so funny because it was, and I'm not calling anyone out for this. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of great realtors out there, but there was this one tactic that was very popular for a while where it was, Hey, let's list, you know, that let's say the house is worth a million bucks. Let's list at 800,000, um, get a crazy bidding war going at the, at the height of the market, sell for 1.2, and then we can all celebrate or sell for, you know, want just over a million dollars, which is essentially how much the house is worth. But now I get to put my sold over asking sign up and, it's just a flex that did not need to happen and it just confuses the market. And I, I'm just not a big fan of that strategy personally. Um, yeah, there, sorry, before you go on, um, there was a somebody on Twitter who was making riders for uh, signs. I think it was in Vancouver. I don't think it was in Toronto, but or it was somewhere else, but they were making like um, or stickers or like something to put over these signs that realtors had out. And they just said listed under market value yeah. rather, rather than sold <laughs> yeah. over asking, which was just savage. And oh, I think that man. got shut down pretty quickly, but hilarious. I'd imagine anyway. so. Yeah, no, that is, uh, that is some, some great real life trolling that we, uh, I don't mind to see that every now and then. It keeps, keeps no, people in check. That's pretty Yeah, funny. you got to have a good sense of humor about it for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyways, if this trend continues into August, which we are in now, happy summer, everybody, the market will behave like a buyer's market where buyers can go back to setting prices. So this goes back to many conversations we've had on the show before here, Dan, right? Buyer's market versus seller's market. What's the difference? Who's in charge? Um, what are your thoughts on on house prices and, and you know, the, the trend that we're seeing right now? Seasonality or are we entering into a, a different market here? Yeah, you know what? I think it's to me, it's just that like we're we're getting into a more normal market, and this was always my prediction. I I said you know I don't really know if the prices are going to go down or up after um after we saw that big drop. I, I did 
kind of call that big drop that we had last year. But I said after that, I think, you know, and very much like the 90s, you're going to be in what I would call a sideways market. It'll look like a sideways market on paper. It doesn't mean that people aren't getting decimated because they are. Like the the long-term sustained pain is what we're seeing materialize Mm -hmm. in the market right now where people are bleeding out on mortgages they can't afford, cash negative rental properties, yeah. Looking, staring down the barrel at pre, pre-construction condos that they can't afford to close, that they can't qualify because rates have gone up and that they're in negative equity on. Those things can all take place in a, in a sideways market. Prices don't have to be moving down for people to be suffering. In fact, um, as long as they're not moving up, in a lot of cases, you know, people who <laughs> whose investment thesis was real estate only goes up. Um, are the ones who you know now have to f- have to figure something out. And so um, later on in the report, I'm just going to jump to this slide because it um, it covers it as well. It just says that you know there's a, confer- a convergence in the bid ask spread. So um, despite many anecdotes of bit- persistent bidding wards, the market gap between sale price and list price has closed after the market showed signs of price growth. Um, and so again, I'm I'm going to say it's way too early to say like to call it because this would happen in a summer market anyway. Typically, I was saying this in Jan- in January, February, March when prices were going up like crazy and everybody was saying we're back on a bull market, baby. I was saying, <laughs> well, let's just take a breath here and look at what happens every year from January to May, seasonal growth, right? And this year we outgrew the se- typical se- seasonal growth pattern by about 2 to 3%. So I would say there's about 2 to 3% real growth in house prices in Q1 of this year, which is big. That's huge. But to say, oh, they were up 10% since January. Well, yeah, like they're up typically 10% just by purely on selection bias alone. Uh, It's just a statistical anomaly, right? Or not a a statistical outlier. Um, And so um, I'm just, I'm saying, you know, let's watch it closely and pay very much attention to what happens in September when you would typically see a fall market take place. And that's when I think we'll, we'll have a better idea of what, the the market is going to look like and and that's I would I would say everybody should take their time and make well informed decisions anyway and a couple of months of data isn't going to hurt anyone. I I completely agree. I mean, to me, this just shows you know outside of outside of simply just real estate house prices, seasonality is a major thing in Canada, right? I mean, look at construction during the winter versus the summer months. How many out of office replies, if you're sending emails or doing cold calls, are you getting now versus, you know, October or versus March, right? Like, you know, Canadians and and Canada in general is just subject to seasonality. And um, it's important to remember that. that. Use that to segue to this next slide here, which is the volume is declining more than seasonal patterns. Yeah, I mean, the number of sales is in decline, again, which typically takes place during the summer market, right? People are gone. People are at the cottage. People are on vacation. The kids are home. Whatever it may be, and the summer's decline does seem a bit outsized or maybe a bit more severe uh, than the typical summer market, which, again, could be an indicator. And for anyone listening across the country, apologies, this is a very uh, Toronto and and GTA-centric episode. So we're really talking about Toronto um, and the regions of like Peel, York, Durham, Halton, etc. Yeah, and I I think that that's like we've mentioned a couple of times on the show that um, Toronto does kind of behave like a you know, a forward looking market and it might be worth, so it might be worth kind of using it as the canary in the coal mine. I mean, it it really did. Like we were saying this in January, February, March of last year, when Toronto's prices were blowing off and Toronto had hit peak, you know, 
um, Toronto, I think, or the, the greater Toronto area, all of those markets peaked in February. And most other markets in Canada didn't peak until March or April. And so it, you could literally um, determine... I, I honestly really, really believe this. And I think that it, there's probably legitimate reason that for it. The, the, biggest, the best guess that I would have as to why this phenomenon takes place is capital flows from Toronto out to other places. And so if capital contracts in Toronto, if valuations are coming down in Toronto or the greater Toronto area, um, people, you know, they're not, they don't have the money to pull HELOCs and go buy a, uh, investment property in Calgary or, you know, Halifax or whatever it is. Um, so it's a, it's an inverse wealth effect, right? Well, and so anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, well, while we're on that, let's, let's talk more about Toronto and, and maybe the, the population um, that we're seeing, um, and and we can compare Toronto here to the two other. Um, you know, I'm surprised Calgary's not on this, but Toronto versus so, Vancouver and Montreal here. Yeah, so I actually do have Calgary on that other chart that's below. Okay, there. great. great. Um, I'm just going to rotate. I don't know if you can see what I'm doing here. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, I can. I'm rotating yeah. it because then we can read it properly. So for anyone listening, Dan and I aren't together today, and we're experiencing some serious technical difficulties. But hey, we don't miss an episode, so this is coming to you, even though we're. We're not doing it in traditional format here. If people knew like the technical difficulties that we, <laughs> like, I, like I was like peak, this is turning out to be a great episode, but I was like peak stressed before this episode. Oh like, yeah. Oh we, yeah. We're we both were thinking time about crunches. Yeah. And it's a holiday <laughs> it's, on Monday. So, you know, for editing, we have to get it out early. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, so read me the headline of that chart from, um, that's, that chart comes from the national bank, um, economics and, and strategy. Yeah, so the latest uh, annual population growth, 15 years and older by percent. Yeah, so Toronto had the largest population growth um, among Canada's three largest cities. And then, oh, the the other one is, yeah, so Canada saw about like, what is that, 2% growth in population year over year. Mm-hmm. We can maybe pick out a couple of big outliers here, but N- Newfoundland, um, so St. John's was, was just under 3%, PEI just under 4%, Nova Scotia, just under 3%, Halifax, Nova Scotia, um, just over 4%. So the city rather than the province. Um, and so this is one of the things that I mentioned. Well, I, I'll just read what I wrote in the re- report here. So it says Toronto's population is growing faster than Canada's three other major cities, being Vancouver and Montreal, but pales in comparison to the growth impact in smaller municipalities across the country. The bull case of immigration feels like or feels its greatest magnitude in smaller municipalities. And this is where you're seeing, I mean, so leading the country right now um, is Belleville, Ontario. You at could have 5%. asked me. Yeah, you could have you could have given me like fifty guesses, and, and I honestly don't know if I would have ever guessed Belleville. But it's it's crazy. I mean, you know, again, you you mentioned Moncton and, and St. John's, New Brunswick, Kingston, Belleville, both. Uh, you know, Belleville again leading, but but Kingston not so far behind at about three and a half percent. Regina, Saskatoon, Lethbridge. Calgary, Edmonton, they're all those are all what between three it. and yeah, those yeah. are all between three and five percent. Edmonton's over four percent. Calgary's over four percent. And so, so you know, national banks thing says Toronto's leading the big cities, uh, and that's between two and a. It's basically two and a half percent, I think, um, which is like very nominal, right? It, it, it they grow by by sheer number. It's obviously going to grow the most. And people say, oh, so many, so much of the population growth happens in the city of Toronto. Yeah, but I don't care how how much of that population growth happens, like how many people, I care about the percentage, the torque, right? 
as Chuck would say, Chuck's favorite word is torque, I feel like, <laughs> on deals, right? But it's like true. Like that's how, what's the magnitude, the sheer magnitude of that increase? And the percentages are higher in these other places. And that's why you're seeing these sustained outside uh, outside gains in some of these other areas. Yeah. Um, and, and, and actually, I'm going to quickly go to what I mentioned in the takeaway at the end of this report. Um, it says, you know, so why aren't we back on the bull run we started in 2022? You know, in response to Canada has excess demand for housing. I get it. People, more people than houses, infinite demand, 1 million people last year. Ask any realtor, right? Here's my best Now's guess. Now's a good time to buy. <laughs> yeah. We don't measure house prices in people in this country. We measure house prices in dollars. Right now, dollars are very expensive. People need houses and they need money to buy houses and money doesn't come cheap. Don't forget, population growth peaked in 1989 too. Let's take a minute to really think about excess demand. At its core, excess demand has a very fixed set of potential outcomes. This is something I came up with on my own, and I'm actually really impressed with it because these three points are, are literally the only th- things that can happen in an excess demand scenario. Number one, more supply gets built to meet the demand. This clearly isn't happening right now because we're seeing, and this is in the report, which we'll get to quickly if we if we have time, um, that you know um, new, new housing starts are down in most cities, all but 10 cities in Canada. Prices go up. It appears that this is no longer happening in the city of Toronto, and this report is for Toronto. So um, anyway, prices aren't going up in that market for the past two months. Sorry. So the alternative is that demand spills over into other places. The money goes elsewhere. And this seems to be what's taking place. It could spill over geographically in the same time Toronto, in the same way. This is something that a, a listener mentioned to me at a meetup, actually. you know, In the same way that Toronto usurped Montreal as Canada's world-class city, it could just as easily, I don't think this is going to happen, but it could just as easily forfeit its reign to policy error alone. If they don't, you know, people vote with their money. And right now there's nowhere for that, no sensible place for that money to go in the city of Toronto. So it's Mm -hmm. pouring into markets like Calgary, Vancouver, Halifax, where markets have been more resilient against the headwinds of interest rates and recession. So much capital wants to come to the city, um, but there's no logical place for it to go. And so if we can't bring units to market economically, it's going to just exhaust that pool of buyers and they're going to go somewhere else. There are really only three levers that you can pull to change affordability, asset prices, so house prices, interest rates, or incomes. So anyway, I, I think this is fascinating from my perspective. And I think it's this is one of those things where you have, in order to solve this problem that we're facing, it's you almost get to either, to going back to those outcomes, it's like either all of the money goes to a different asset class or or a new solution for housing like missing middle, infill density, DIY density, or reallocation of square footage um, is kind of the way I put it. And what we're going to do, we've been meaning to do an entire episode on how we're overhoused on a square footage perspective. It says that you know, ca- you know, Canada has too few houses, but we don't have too little square footage. Um, and then, um, so it could go to missing middle product, let's say. Or it could go to different markets like your Calgary's, which we're seeing a huge provincial outflows into Calgary or into, into um, Alberta. So it could go to your Alberta's. It could go to your Nova Scotia's. It could go to your, you know, to your Atlantic provinces, any, anywhere but Ontario and BC that are just so yeah. unaffordable that capital doesn't want to go there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy and, and it's unfortunate to see because we, we had such a good thing going. If only we could, you know, keep up with what we're doing doing right we're we're we've taken way too much on people you know that that i posted on twitter the other for anyone that's seen the fire festival documentary it you know we i made a pretty brutal savage comparison to the fire festival with that was you know promises of 
the best festival ever, you know, beaches with mansions and five-star cooking and all this kind of stuff. Well, that seems to be the dream that we're selling um, the, you know, million plus immigrants that are arriving in Canada. They get here and they start to look around and it's kind of like the scenes from Fire Festival documentary where you're like, oh, there's, there is no house for house, us to be. Can't find a job. Can't, can't find a good meal. Yeah. Like yeah. what's, what's happening here? So, you know, and anecdotally, Dan, I know you and I talked to investors and people in you know real estate professions construction etc like that on a daily basis and anecdotally it's getting scary because i'm here and i live in downtown toronto and i'm hearing friends that aren't even in the industry and and most of the people that are that are a lot of them are talking about getting out and i've never heard this before at least on this scale, you know, everyone, winter comes around and, you know, going back to the seasonality, winter comes around, everyone's talking, oh, I got to move out of here, Mexico, Costa Rica, Florida, whatever it may be. Um, but this is different. This isn't weather, winter, sadness, depression driven. This is, I can't afford to start a life here. I can't afford to buy a house. I can't afford to get ahead, just gas, groceries and interest rates and, and my mortgage payment alone or rent, for instance, you know, I've, you know, people know that we're in real estate. How many questions you've been getting recently about, hey, my landlord's trying to kick me out. What do I do? Like it, it's, you know, we've, Toronto, unfortunately, seems to have set itself up for a little bit of failure. And it's not too late to fix that problem, right? If we can go over some of these things that you mentioned here, Dan, right? Like more supply, price changes, interest rate changes, income changes, but that stuff needs to happen now or like very soon because it's only a matter of time before you know this problem gets bigger and and worse and out of control yeah and then you deal you, you're dealing with the consequences of it which i think is happening right now right like i think you start to get a little bit of civil unrest people are upset right like there's huge political shifts um and and you can feel these things happening right now like the chorus of people speaking out against um canada's population growth as being economically reckless is is astounding to me and like i'm not even really that big of a part of that conversation because i, I don't really necessarily know exactly how i land on it because part of me thinks this is necessary for long-term sustainability of our country to, you know, kind of flatten the curve per se on our population curve. Um, and that's sort of what policymakers I think are arguing that that's why we'd be seeing so much of this immigration, but we can't keep up on, on the supply side. And, and like it very much is that fire festival thing that you're happening, especially for, for students who are paying, I think triple, I want to say triple the, the, um, the tuition for um, international students. And they're basically being, um, I don't know, like kind of squeezed here by, by all of these colleges who've increased their student, um, their international student um, populations, by like 240% over the past little bit and built like, or and increased their housing for students by less than 10%, you know? So like, I don't think it, it doesn't take a, a mathematician to, to do, to figure out like that. That's just not, gonna work well actually um, sorry let me correct you there it doesn't take a mathematician it does maybe take a mathematician to, to, yeah. to make those numbers work yeah um, yeah so let, let me you know while we're on that um i i go on in this report to, to mention if you thought toronto new home supply was bad um consider that we are the fourth best in the country for supply growth right now so Toronto Yikes. is one of only 10 municipalities in Canada that's on increase in housing starts last year. The rest of those would be Guelph, which actually isn't even pictured on this chart. It went up 321%, so it would completely ruin the remainder of the chart. So Guelph, <laughs> great job. Um, actually, their mayor, um, Cam Guthrie, is a, it, him and I chat on Twitter all the time, so big shout out to Cam Guthrie. 
Um, and you know, I both big fans of Guelph, obviously. Um, Alumni, we, we yep. have had a beer or two there. Um, <laughs> lived there perhaps for a bit. Back um, in the but old anyway, day, yeah. yeah, yeah. So after that, you have Vancouver, which saw a forty nine percent increase year over year, and housing starts great. Kingston thirty six percent, Toronto thirty two percent, Barry twenty five percent, Red Deer, Alberta, love it. Um, we've talked about it. We, you know, we, I popped in there when we were, when we were visiting and, um, Steph used to live there. So great city, um, and great city for investment. We have a lot of investors talking about buying out there. Uh, we were looking at a couple of deals out there. So if you're interested, mm-hmm. give us a shout. We we're familiar with the market. Um, Kamloops, 20%, Kelowna, 14%, Victoria, 6%. And that's where it ends. Belleville, who saw the largest population growth in the, in the, the country last year, grew their housing starts by 0%. Wow. Calgary, which we just discussed, saw over 4% growth, grew their housing starts by 0%. (laughs) So, and then everybody else on the list- are back at it. Yeah, literally every other city that you can think of in the country, any other city over, I think, 20,000 people, um, fell in, or saw a decline in housing starts. So, um, so, So, and that doesn't mean that they're- getting less housing, it means that they're, they're building housing at a slower rate, which is a bad thing. Um, so the, the, the disconnect here is, is obvious. Um, and again, if you go back to those three outcomes, um, if we're not seeing prices going up and we're not seeing more units being built, then that demand is going to have to start moving around. And it's either going to move around by reallocating square footage or it's going to move around geographically to more affordable markets. Those are the only two options. So there's a good opportunity here as an investor to say, I think this market is going to be able to attract a lot of those you know, international students who can't live in North Bay because there's no student housing and they are going to drive in from this place 45 minutes away. Or... You know, I think that um, this city that has a bunch of McMansions, all of those are going to get cut up into fourplexes. If you like, I I don't know what those things are, but there's each of those opportunities probably exist somewhere and are going to be multi-million dollar bets to make over the next decade. So, yep, no, well said. Let's uh, let's call it there, Dan. We both have places to be. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you guys got a ton of value. If you want this report, just shoot us an email and we'll send you the whole thing so you can see all the graphics. Uh, Dan spent a lot of time putting this together. Yeah, it should actually be up by the time we post the episode. We'll even just put a link in the show notes. Awesome. Um, and, and if you like this app, let me know because I, I, this was actually really fun. Um, maybe we shouldn't look at each other while we're recording because I feel like this was a really good episode. Um, <laughs> we're like at, Nick and I are on a phone call right now, by the way. Like, it's like we're not even on Zoom. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, if, if you like this app, let me know because we might make this a regular monthly thing because uh, I do post the rare report on a monthly basis anyway. Great. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group, license number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.